Welcome to the Beer Podcast. My name's Nick Mins. Um, so on the, tonight's podcast, I've got a, a friend of mine coming on, uh, and we've just been saying it's been a long time since uh, since we've kind of uh, like seen each other. I say we had a few messages on uh, social media, but to actually talk to each other, what did we say? It was about two thousand and six. Fifteen years now. Yeah, going back to the old band days. So, yeah, Vicky's joined me tonight to talk about her experiences uh, with mental health. Uh, so thank you for coming on, Vicky. I say it's an absolute pleasure to see you again after all this time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, for those who don't know, Vicky was uh, kind of uh, the uh, number one fan of the uh, the old band I was in. Yeah. I used, in... To be, I used to be the number one roadie, didn't I? Else, and you equipment left, right, and centre. Back in today. Back in today, yeah. Seems like a lifetime ago now, that though, doesn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, so, so really, as I say, we'll just, we'll just kind of get into it. So, just uh, if you want to really just kind of explain a bit of some of your experiences, really. Um, well, I think I've sort of, I've struggled with my mental health probably from being quite young, to be honest with you. Um, my, it's, I had quite a, a rough upbringing. My parents split up when I was quite young. Um, we moved from the countryside into Hull. I mean, I've, I've been bullied quite badly, at, not only at the first primary school I went to, but the second one. And then luckily I actually when I left primary school, life actually got a bit better for me. And I, I actually had quite a quite a decent experience at secondary school. But I think those scars from my first sort of experiences have, have stuck with me quite a long time. And just it's just silly things like hazing people, like the new girl. Everyone always tries to haze the new girl and they always bullied the new girl. And unfortunately, the best thing they had to bully me about was my weight. So it's it's something that does stick with you in it. I, I, don't, I think when you experience that from such a young age, it does, it shapes who you become as an adult and how you deal with certain things as an adult as well. So I found um, like my teenage years, I was quite obsessed with my weight and things like that. And it was something that, I, I used to speak with my grandma. I mean, when I when we used to go out with the band and stuff like that, um, my grandma lived not far from where you are now, to be fair. And um, I went to the school not far from from there as well, the one that you train football at. So oh, right, okay, I was, yeah. I was on Wolfreton Road constantly growing up, and that was my little stomping ground because rather than go to my dad's, I went to my grandma's on a weekend because I felt I just had such a good relationship with her. But um, my first real experience that I can identify with mental health problems came when she passed away when I was 21. And that, it was just... I... Um, it pulled the rug out from under my feet big time because she was, she was my confidant she was like I'd come in from working a shift at Spiders or from going on a night out and I'd sit there and I'd just offload to her at like two three o'clock in the morning she didn't care like she was the most resilient person I've ever known in my life and she was my my idol she was my hero she never let anything um I mean my grandma was disabled and she was wheelchair bound 
and that never stopped her from achieving what she wanted to achieve like she would she was the matriarch of our family 100% she was the glue so when she passed away that really um it had a really profound effect on me and I uh, it was not long after that that I actually tried to get in for some counseling for the first time and I, I basically went to my GP I explained obviously my situation and I went for counseling and I just I really didn't click with that counsellor at all I found it really difficult to talk to her um I felt like a lot of the time I mean I'm sure she didn't mean to come off this way but I felt a lot of the time like she was being quite condescending towards me because right. of my youth and stuff like that and it just it I think it actually did more harm than good at that point I think I don't think I was ready to sort of work through my problems and and grief and stuff I don't think I was quite ready to let go so that was probably part of it as well um but that kind of led to um a period of just real unrest I mean I was wild I was wild back then. I was living in a shared house with a group of mates, parties and, you know, just, I was just drinking most nights and smoking into oblivion. And just, I was like, absolutely, I was just going off, going mental with it all and just partying around and stuff like that. And it, nothing seemed, nothing really filled that gap. You know what I mean? It's like nothing, nothing helped but it was easy to try and sort of, I don't know, distract myself from it than actually look at what I was going through. And that's when I really, that's when I really, really started to struggle with eating. Um, and it was more, I think more, I, I think I was punishing myself more than anything. And um, that I, on and off, I'd struggled with my eating throughout my teenage years, but when I was in my mid-twenties it, it really took hold and I ended up um it was just it was ruining my life I was I wasn't I wasn't eating and when I was eating I was over exercising I was taking um like laxatives I was taking tablets to speed up my metabolism and I, I was I got to the point where my hair was falling out and I just I, I reached a low um, and I, I actually spoke to one of my friends about this today because it's something that I think is really important in that I'd actually reached a point where I had actually planned if I was gonna you know commit suicide I knew exactly how I would do it and that's when I went and spoke to my doctor and I said I need some help I need you to refer me to um, to these people um, I need their support and luckily he um he's been my GP since I was a child and he actually did he referred me to the Evolve Eating Disorders Service in Hull and I spent the best part of 18 months in and out of their um counseling services with one of their practitioners and the all I can really say is I think that woman saved my life like she was a huge part of helping me identify what my triggers were for feeling low. Um, we did a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy because I, I mean, you'll know me, Nick, I am a very empathetic person and 
I, I feel things deeply, not just for myself, but for other people as well. And I, I'll, I'll have time, I'll speak to anybody, I'll take on their problems. And that was actually part of my issue at the time was I was taking other people's problems and I felt worthless for not being able to fix them. Um, and Debbie, she absolutely turned my life around. She, she took, like, she made me realize that actually, like, as an adult, I was responsible for me. I was responsible for making myself happy and for meeting my own goals and not other people's. It's like, as an adult, they were responsible for their own happiness and their feelings. So for me to be to be using food to punish myself for my shortcomings when they weren't actually my shortcomings they were other people's and I don't know how but she actually got through to me and it took two attempts but eventually I came out of that service a much stronger person and and I, I credit her for that because it was um, it was maybe about a year after that or two years after that. I mean, I've been, I was on antidepressants probably from being about 21. Um, and I actually found out just before Christmas in 2015 that I was pregnant. So as soon as I found out I was pregnant, it was calling the doctor, I need to come off my antidepressants, I need to come off my anti-anxiety tablets, I need to stop taking this, that and the other. And um, first of all, they just stopped me taking them all together, which actually okay. caused me to go through withdrawal massively. Like I, I used to work on a substance misuse wing at the prison and I kid you not, I was fully going through withdrawal. So they had to then restart them and I had to wean myself off them over about a six week period, I think it was. Um, but I've since having my daughter I've not gone back on them That's um, I, I struggled with my pregnancy it was horrible I, I suffer with chronic pain and chronic pain is compounded with anxiety the worse your anxiety and the worse you, your mood and the lower your mood is the worse your pain will be and it they go hand in hand with one another if you if you're in pain you're going to feel rubbish and if you feel rubbish your pain's going to feel worse so it's kind of like a, a vicious cycle as far as that's concerned but um the last couple of months of my pregnancy I was on crutches which was quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of fun but at the end of my pregnancy I I have now got the most beautiful little girl and she <laughs> is like my she's just she's you know she's such a handful but she don't have to keep me busy. <laughs> it's like it's for little things. I mean, we think that Abigail might be artistic, but it's like we're just taking that in our stride. She is like my absolute, she's my rock, bless her. And everything I do in my life now, I do for her because I want her to have everything in her life. And I want her to have um, the upbringing that I didn't have. Like, I don't want her to feel bad about herself and to feel, you know, it's that's quite important to me. And um, a few years ago, I just sort of, I reached a point where, and obviously it sounds really bizarre, but 
I mean, I've, I've always worked from being like 16 years old. I've never not had a job and I've always been a very busy, like I have a career. It's not just a job. I've, I've worked for the NHS for 18 years and I'm 34. That's like since I was 16 years old. Um, and I just, I, I reached a point where I just said to my friend, I feel like I'm, I'm a partner I'm a parent and I'm an employee, but I'm I'm not a person. And that was like that was a very hard thing to admit. Um, like I didn't feel like I could parent Abigail to, uh, to the best of my ability because I just didn't. I had no. I, I didn't have an identity of my own. I felt like as much as I was um, giving her everything and you know putting my entire being into sort of making sure that we had a roof over our head and everything else. Um, I was missing out on an awful lot because I just didn't feel like I was a person. It, it's such a weird way to describe it, but I, I just there was no Vicky in there. I was I was everything to everyone but myself, and that's when I decided that I needed to go back for more counselling. Um, and it so it just goes to show it's not like it's not just a one one stop and you're fixed. It's it's a constant process and as as you evolve through life you constantly have to sort of work to achieve and to and to adapt to to what you're feeling in that moment and I went to luckily the the organization I work for has um has its own sort of mental health services so I contacted them knowing full well how to do that I just I filled out a form online for let's talk um within a few weeks I'd had a I'd had a meeting with a psychological well-being practitioner who they advised me that the best the best part of call would be for me to just have some standard counseling they didn't think cognitive behavioral therapy would work this time because I've already had it with Evolve but they thought that just some peer-to-peer counselling might might be beneficial for me. Yeah. And um, I was assigned a counsellor at Focus Counselling, and and I had this discussion with her a while back. Um, and she absolutely like I can't imagine like that first day where I mean I'm a crier, Nick. <laughs> I talk about stuff and I get emotional, and that's just who I am. And I have to sort of learn to accept that, I suppose. But I was talking to Chris and I was telling her, you know, this is how I feel. I don't know why I feel this way. I'm trying to get out of it. I mean, I was in such a positive mindset. I was um, I was being I was eating healthily. I was eating well, but I was going to the gym three times a week. I was building muscle. I was losing weight, but I was doing it the right way for once. And that really improved my mental health massively. And when I went to speak to Chris, I mean, she was, she admired my dedication. There we go. So <laughs> we were talking about your phone buzzing and it's man that starts ringing. Um, yeah, she was. She had nothing but admiration for me because I was I was getting up at half five. I was at my gym for six. I was working out for an hour, and then I was at my desk for half seven every morning. And like she she had a lot of admiration for me on that front. But at the same time, that was um there was a method to that because 
if I was at the gym and at work and then by the time I got home and I had Abigail sorted and ready for bed I literally was that tired that I had no time to think about how rubbish I felt and that's that was the routine I'd got myself into so I'd spent six months at that before I actually met Chris and um yeah I mean she just helped me I mean how I see it is what with me I had like a root cause to my problems but it was that buried and that deep that I just I had no chance of finding it on my own and the more time I spent with Chris um we just sort of peel it's a bit like an onion you peel it away layer by layer until you get into that sort of that center part which is like the the main part of it and I guess she made me realize a lot of things and it was it was at that point that I realized you know what why I was unhappy um not only was I unhappy but um I know for a fact that my partner at the time was unhappy as well and we weren't we weren't doing any good for each other so as a result we sort of decided actually we're gonna we're gonna do the right thing by our daughter we, I didn't want Abigail to grow up thinking it was okay so we separated so it's it's been quite a rough year we um I'm I moved out of our home last year and we've sold it and yeah it's just it's been a long process but I know he's happy now I'm happier I'm much happier than I have been for years um and I said to my friend Stacey I said it's it's bizarre because all of these years when I've felt isolated but I've had so many people around me now I am more isolated than I've ever been but I actually feel stronger and more content than ever because I've it's it's my I've made these decisions for myself to sort of try and it's just it's difficult and it's been a really long process I mean I'm like I say I'm 34 now and I first started counseling when I was 21 13 years it's a a long time isn't it do you know I mean so you say that the obviously I think one of those triggers is obviously when you've when you've lost your was it your mm. your grandma? You said, was it your nana? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you know, and sometimes it's losing that kind of almost like a key figure in your life, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's I suppose it is those situations which which are the triggers to obviously start bringing stuff back as well, you know, and and I suppose if if you've had someone to speak to for so long, um, who's almost like yeah, like you say, like your confidant, and she can, you can talk about anything, and then all of a sudden that's kind of took away from you it's then like who do I talk to who can I talk to you know who's going to understand you know it's 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 difficult isn't it mm-hmm. um I mean what did you because obviously like you you said you went to counseling you had straight away yeah did you find the counseling beneficial at 21 then no I didn't I um I just I think I went too soon to be honest with you I think for me I needed to take time to process and to sort of take stock. I I needed time to grieve. And I I think I just went for counselling too soon. I wasn't ready to let go and move on. And as much as 
I mean, I don't, I, I've got nothing against the lady. I don't think it was her intention, but I just, I never connected with her. And that, I mean, as one thing that I've always said to people is, if you go for counselling and it doesn't work, then that's not the end. You don't give up there. You just yeah. keep going until you find someone. Somebody will will get through and, and, and you'll get a bond with somebody. And once you've reached that point, it's like I'm... I'm an open book now because I know that bottling things up and not talking about it doesn't work. It doesn't help. Um, it, you may feel like it's inconveniencing people to talk to them and to sort of tell them what your problems are, but that is not the case. And it's something that really I'm really passionate about is I'm like, I am open about my struggles and stuff like that. I mean, I spent probably about seven or eight years of my life like quite heavily medicated on anti-anxiety tablets and antidepressants and and they made me feel um like a zombie some days like I struggled there were days when I struggled to get out of bed because the anti-anxiety tablets were making me tired but I couldn't take them in the morning I had to take them at night because they made me sleepy so it's and it was yeah. just really all I was doing was subduing that part of my brain which where something just wasn't right and I needed that time to try and sort of you know to process it and to and to understand how to compartmentalize that really I think it took a long time it's like you say with with regards to you know you don't want to inconvenience people and, and you kind of bottle stuff up I did for years do you know mm. it was only really um what 2019 when I had my I, I had like a really bad infection in my in my elbow it it yeah. was that bad that my arm and my hand were like three times the size it was almost like I was wearing a boxing glove but I had it yeah. all the way up to my up to my um my glands it, it nearly nearly spread into my bloodstream and I could have yeah. got sepsis um <laughs> so it was pretty pretty serious and I, I obviously went into hospital um, but like I've said, it because I, I got put on a the only bed they had was on a stroke ward at the time, and and you know the thing is like you know I've spoke to people and said oh it's the NHS is for it's like they, they do the best with the tools that they've got if they've got a bed they've got to put someone there you know it's just I suppose where I was on that ward it was with people with tubes in them you know. Alzheimer's patients who mm -hmm. were just walking about and you know there was a there was a gent who was in the room and next to us he passed away you know and, and all these kind of traumatic things and I, like I said to people want the pain or the, the fact that I had this infection in my arm that was the issue it was I think the experience everything that went on mm -hmm. and that's really when things started to kind of snowball for me and and although I've I've, I've started to realize now that I've probably had depression for a for about a good good 15 years but I've never I've never really um I've never really opened up about it like I always kind of thought I can't talk to people because I don't want them to start worrying about me I always feel like a burden mm. yeah and I mean I, I, I went through um uh postnatal depression when we had our Dylan like the eldest um I think it was just a bit of a shock to the system at the time. You kind of think you're ready, but it just it, it just hit me harder than I thought it would. But 
I didn't go get help for it. I didn't go seek any any you know help from the doctors or anything. It was almost like I just felt like I've just got to get on with it. That's that's what I've got to do. That's my role. I've, I've mm. just got to get on with it. Suck it up and get on with it. And I know it wasn't healthy. British values in it. You just feel like you've got to just you know sort of plod on and just keep going when sometimes actually you need to just stop and really you know take stock of where you are and what's happening around you and try and you know do do what you can to do what's right for your health haven't you really yeah and I mean I you know I even understand what you say when you when you said about like you had your your regime in the morning you go to the gym go to work do this but it's almost like you pack your time full of so much stuff that when it comes to actually getting to think about you and what's going on in your head you're too tired to think about it or you just fill your time with more stuff so you don't you don't think about what's going on you know it's yeah. almost like ignorance is bliss if i don't if i don't confront it it's not real that's what i always thought for years mm. if i don't stand there in the mirror even though i'd look in the mirror and go we need help and it's like no we don't we're all right we don't think about that let's just we've got mm. this to do we've got that to do you just just pulling through you've got bills to pay you know, you need to, you've got a job to do you've got a family to provide for you've got to get up and you've got to do it and you just get up and do it and it's like um, it always makes me think back to there's a, a song by Nine Inch Nails every day is exactly the same and that was my life and it just it felt like just Groundhog Day yeah I was just going to say it feels like Groundhog Day you know mm. I suppose it's almost like it starts to feel like a war with yourself as well doesn't it like a battle like every day even getting out of bed and just doing the normal mundane things just become such yeah. a, an issue you know, you just feel so, you know. Exactly, you... That. exactly that. There's been times when I've, when, like, I mean, I had um, I had quite a, a bad do when I worked in the prison in that my, my granddad, um, my dad's dad, he had Alzheimer's and um, it was either Alzheimer's or dementia. I'm not 100% certain, but he thought I was his sister. Um, mm. And he would tell everyone I was his sister and, we had um, a bit of a situation where somebody had, um, they'd been manipulating him and they'd, they had access to his bank cards and and all sorts. And I mean, it had been a real long process and I, I got the police involved and it, it never, there was quite a lot of deception going on, but I, I know it never materialized into anything. But the one thing that I did manage to do was that I got my granddad moved away from where he lived and into a residential home a lot closer to me. Um, I mean, my dad's worked all around the world. And at that point, he was working in Kuwait. My brother was in Afghanistan. Um, my parents separated when I was like five or six years old. So like my mum, my mum, as much as she would have been there for him, it was more like it wasn't really her place. I was old enough. So I, I stepped in and I had to sort of take charge with all of that. And um I mean, that was difficult in itself because it's almost like you're the caregiver for somebody who you've seen as such a really strong part in your life. I mean, it's kind of like what you were saying about when you were in the hospital, you had to see all these people around you. Well, this was somebody who was such a strong and, you know, such a strong character and he was such a strong person. And it was just it was like devastating to see just how confused he would get and um 
like I say, if he thought, oh, I took him to the doctors and said, I think my granddad might have dementia. And she was like, oh, don't be silly. And he's like, oh, this is my sister. She's like, oh, don't be silly, Jack. It's not your sister. And he's, but no, he, I'm like, no, he really thinks I'm his sister. Like, I'm not kidding. We've had, been having this conversation for like 20 minutes on the drive here. He thinks I'm his sister. I'm not, clearly. And it's like, it's just, it was distressing, to be honest with you. And um, obviously when he passed away, there was no one else to organise the funeral. So I had to try and track down all of his living relatives and organise a funeral because my dad and my brother were, um, they were uncontactable at that point. Um, I mean, it's uh, probably the worst thing I've ever had to do. I don't think I've ever had to do anything worse than ringing my dad and telling him that his dad had passed away. That was like, that was next level, was that. It was just horrendous. Um, and then when he couldn't actually leave the country to come back for a funeral as well, that it was just even worse. But yeah. it, it's like you say, you just, you kind of, I did those things because I had to. I had, there's no, you don't get a choice in the matter. You've got to sort of um, power through it, really. And it's like, when you get to the end of that, it's like, then you take stock and you think, right, I need to sort of spend a bit of time on myself and try and sort myself out. And it doesn't always work out how you think it's going to, unfortunately. I mean, I've sort of, after that, I mean, it was really unfortunate because I had a really bad accident um, with a, a tie wrap and a pair of scissors. And I, I, I actually stabbed myself in the hand and I was in hospital. I had to go and have my nerves and my um, tendons reattached. Oh, and- mate. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting one. Um, I literally had gone back to work. I'd been, I had to have surgery, get all my nerves reattached. My hand was like, I still get tingling in it quite often now and it doesn't feel right, but I've got a really good Harry Potter scar on my thumb. But um, I'm not kidding. I went back to work on the Monday and on the Wednesday, they called me and said my granddad had passed away. And my manager at the time, um, her response to me was, well, he's not immediate family. You only get ha- you were only allowed half a day's leave to attend the funeral. And I was just like, if I don't plan the funeral, there isn't going to be one. I, and by the way, I am immediate family. I'm power of attorney. He's classed as my dependent in the eyes of the law, so... And I, I just thought, and she was like, oh, well, you can have the rest of the week. And I'm thinking, so you give me Thursday, Friday to plan a funeral now when it's, I don't even know where his relatives and stuff are. And that was a case of, I think I was off work. Um, I went to see my doctor. He signed me off for like four weeks. Four weeks turned into eight, turned into 12, turned into like three, four months, five months. Um, by the time I did go back, my anxiety was just that bad. I think because I hadn't been because I hadn't been getting out of bed and I hadn't been doing stuff, you literally just sink into that hole. And it was it I wasn't ready to go back to work when I did go back to work and it it just it made things a lot worse at that point. But that's when I went back into treatment with Evolve for the second time. Um and I got a lot of support from them and they were very, very helpful. That's they just they were an amazing service to go to and it yeah it's it's been a long road there's a there's a lot a lot has gone on and 
it's not like there's a lot of stuff that I don't share but and that's only out of respect for people that you know that, oh, that, jolly, yeah. that journey with me um I just I feel like for for me to be the best version of myself I can't I can't not talk about things anymore I yeah. need to be able to express myself if I'm feeling sad or if I'm feeling low I need to be able to text my friend and say mate I'm I need to talk to you like you know I'm, I'm really struggling at the moment and I really need to talk to you and in the same situation when my friends have been feeling like that I'm the one who reaches out and says I know you might not be ready but when you are I'm here or you know just reminding you that I still love you when I miss your face you know things like that yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm the little I'm the little annoyance in the background when you just want to fall into yourself and be in a pit of despair I'm that person who just pops their head up and go I'm still thinking about you you know you haven't got rid of me yet. <laughs> well, that, that's sometimes what people need, though, isn't it? Do you know that you know? I I mentioned before. You, sometimes you you can be surrounded by so many people, but you just feel so lonely. You feel mm-hmm. like you're the only one going through stuff. You know. Um, I mean, like going back to your your granddad's um, your granddad passing away. Do you feel like you dealt with his death? Yeah. Did you do you actually kind of get time to grieve if you like? Yeah, definitely. I mean, with my granddad, it was it had been quite a distressing few years for him, to be honest with you. He um I don't think he ever coped with my granny's death, my, my dad's mum. Um, I don't think he ever coped with that really well. He did it, he wasn't he was a learner, but he wasn't one for being alone if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. He, would, he was always around the pub or around, around his mates and stuff, and he needed that strong woman behind him to sort of keep him on the straight and narrow. And without that, he, I think he just kind of lost his way a bit and he did struggle a lot. Um, it was uh, it was just sad that things went the way they did and that with him not having that sort of sense of... Um, I don't know the sense of that capacity really to sort of understand if somebody was trying to manipulate him. I think that that was a lot harder. I remember having a conversation. I remember we just lost him, couldn't find him. My dad said, "I can't, I can't get hold of my dad. He's not answering the phone." And uh, at that point, I just happened to be working at Hull Royal, um, and I just stood up and I started walking around the wards with my clipboard looking for people to help him stop smoking and lo and behold there was my granddad just sat in a pair of surgical scrubs with hospital issued slippers on just sat there looking real disheveled and I was so I sat down next to him and I was like oh hi how are you and he was like oh yes I'm all right thank you and you know we had a little conversation and I went and sat with one of the um, nurses at the nurses station. And I was like, "How long has uh, how long has he been on the ward?" It was like oh, about three or four days. Um, I was like, "Oh, did nobody call his next of kin?" Oh yeah, yeah, he's he's aware. And I was like, "Well, he isn't because my dad can't find him anywhere, and we've been really worried about him. I'm his granddaughter, and this person who had been manipulating everything had actually got his name put down as next of kin." with the hospitals and it, it literally it the can of worms that opened was just you wouldn't believe honestly the level of um 
just deceit people will go to and I, I am actually quite proud of myself for the way that I handled that man because I'm I'm one person that will avoid confrontation at all costs but I stood my ground with him every time he tried to demean me and belittle me and I stood my ground and I would not take enough like um my granddad had said I could have a key for his flat so I could go get him some slippers and pajamas and stuff because I said you don't want to be wearing these hospital scrubs and yeah yeah so he's like oh yes yeah you can have a key but but this man's got the key you're gonna have to get the key off the man so I sat there and I waited for the man to come and I was like now I said that well hello there and he's like who are you and I was like I'm his granddaughter who are you and he was like oh and then he introduced himself and he was like well I didn't know you were in the picture and I was like well clearly I am just nobody thought to tell us that this was this had happened um and my granddad was like oh yeah Victoria can have the key she can go and get some of my belongings and then he waited for my granddad to fall asleep and said oh you, your granddad's told me you can't have a key he doesn't feel comfortable with you going in his house and it was things like that and it was just my granddad was quite clearly scared of it I mean I, I went to everybody, I went to the safeguarding board, I went to the police, I went to the um, hospital nurses and I told them all exactly what I thought was going on. Social services were involved and this guy was just bad news basically. But again, the uh, unfortunate part there was the police left it too long to actually get the footage from the bank of him using my granddad's bank cards. Oh. Been prosecuted, put it that way. I mean that, you know. But the thing is, as well, I mean that that would have been an extra, an extra thing on top mm-hmm. of the fact that your granddad's going through dementia or Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I say I totally sympathise with that because it happened with my granddad. My granddad was, you know, we always kind of laugh when we look back at him because. Part of my French, but we always say, "What? Well, yeah, he's such a cantankerous old bastard." But he was such a character, such oh, yeah. a character, and he was. My granddad was so like, you know, we always kind of say him was so strong, and he was. My granddad used to tell us like really kind of crazy stories when we were younger, but he'd, we'd always believe him. He'd go, "You see, you see my arms are that area, aren't they?" He said, "That's oh, back of that, it's back of." So I just shave my arm and I roll it. Like, what really? Is, is that? What? Like, oh. And he used to have this, uh, this, this like mark on him, and he said he got it. Um, what well, he, he said? Oh, it was a. This is a bayonet wound. This bayonet wound from when I fought in the war. He was, he was. It had been only about five or six at the time, but you know, in my, I was like, oh my god, my granddad's like he's been in the war. He's telling all my mates and the, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and then and then to kind of watch him, watch this 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 horrible thing just take over him. And I remember, like, my mum always saying, I, I, you know, we don't want you to see your granddad because we want you to remember him how he was. We always wanted to go, but we kind of respected, like, what my nana wanted and, like, my yeah. auntie and my mum and, and my uncle. What what they wanted was really just, just remembering the way he was. And yeah. I was, I kind of said that my, my two brothers are probably the lucky ones because I remember one day I was sat in there, Hull Royal in A&E, and I was just waiting for my results of my x-ray because I was having, I had to have a, an x-ray on my back and in wheeled this 
this this old old man as skinny as anything. He must have been maybe about seven stone wet through. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought, he looks familiar. And it was my granddad. And it was that thingy that I didn't even recognise him straight off. And I tried to talk to him, but like you like you'll know. They don't know who you are. They don't even have a clue. I mean, he used to think that my mum was his was it he used to call her Tommy. Never never known anybody called Tommy. But he was going, oh, who's this little boy? That's your, that's your daughter. Yeah. But that's it, isn't it? It's like um, I mean, my I was really I was really thankful to be honest with you, because where my granddad was in a residential home, I mean, my granddad was still capable of looking after himself. He he struggled to walk but he still had this wicked sense of humour. I'd go sit with him and he'd be like, now then, can I, uh, I'll have a pint of bitter, please, and a cup of tea for my lady friend. <laughs> <laughs> a little serving act, you know, where they give him, give him yeah, yeah. Please, and have a pint of bitter and a cup of tea for my lady friend, please. For my lady friend. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but yeah, he was just, he was, he was a legend, bless him. I mean, he's the only person I know that had actually purposely pissed my dad off, put it that way. <laughs> I swear he used to do it on purpose. But yeah, yeah they normally do, don't they? He was full of it. But I kid you not, he was terrified of my granny. Like, she, oh, used, to, yeah. she used to lock him out the house. If he wasn't home from the pub by nine o'clock, she'd lock the doors and he'd have to sleep in the car. Oh yeah, me, me, my, my granddad was the same with my nana. My nana only used to kind of have to give him a look sometimes, and he'd know, mm-hmm. you know. But you know, even, even my nana was was just a really kind of a gentle soul. But she could stand the ground when she wanted to. My God, you want to cross her? Yeah. That's so, it. Oh yeah. Oh, go on. What were you going to say? Go on. No, I'm just going to say it's like I feel like sometimes I feel like I've lost my fight, but then. It, it just it, it comes and goes I think sometimes it's I feel a lot I feel stronger now mentally than I have done probably all my life and that it's just it's for me that's a really big achievement I mean yeah. do you I mean do, do you kind of see as like there was because you obviously kind of touched on the fact that you've had had your little and was a bit of a change in your life mm-hmm. and obviously you know you and your partner I decided mutually that this was the best thing to do for you both and not just that it was also you had kind of like your daughter's um kind of if you like uh well-being and everything at, at at the forefront which is brilliant um I mean do you really kind of see a, a, a kind of spot where you, you really kind of saw the change in you or you felt the change in you if you like yeah I do um I, I remember it, I, I was having a counselling session and I remember it visit, like vividly. I won't go into much detail about it, but I just, I remember it being just like a light bulb moment. Like I'd been in this fog for so long and it, I just saw clearly for the first time and I knew what I had to do. And I knew, um, I just knew, I just knew what, what needed to be done and that, you know, it took me a bit of time to build the courage up to do that and to have those talks. But, you know, it's at the end of it was just it was like a light bulb moment. That's the only way that I can I can describe it. And it took me a long time and it still does. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's still times when sometimes I think to myself, you know, 
um am I am I doing this right am I doing that right and I have these doubts and it's like I can let that doubt creep in I mean obviously my my daughter's with me predominantly but I can almost pinpoint and guarantee that on a Saturday morning every two weeks I'm going to wake up and it's going to be a bad day and that's because it's the second night that I've not had my daughter it's yeah, the second yeah. night I've been on my own and I wake up for Saturday morning after the second night of not being on my own and that Friday is going to be it that Saturday is going to be a bad day because I'm I've not had that contact with her and I'm struggling now I've identified that as a trigger so when I wake up and I'm feeling like that I then have to tell myself it's you know this is why it's like that I have to try and sort of overcome it really and distract myself and I mean Abigail's dad would be the first person to say I am I'm a cleaner if I need to distract myself I'll clean <laughs> I'll yeah. clean I kid you not, my daughter picked up a scrubbing brush and started scrubbing the cabinets because she's seen me doing it when I've been trying to distract myself from how I've been feeling. So it's like, Abigail will come home on a Saturday morning and my house is spotless. <laughs> That's if Call of Duty hasn't taken me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, is, is, that, is that the game of choice, is it? Is that the game of choice? Yeah, a bit, bit, of, uh, bit of Call of Duty, a bit of Warzone or a bit of multiplayer on Call of Duty, but... <laughs> yeah it depends sometimes it depends how bad it is if it's really bad i'm a cleaner if i'm if i'm just looking for something to take my mind off it i'll just i've started reading a lot recently um reading just loads of books i mean i'm sick of just being locked in that's what's getting to me more at the moment is um like my my immediate family my mum and my stepdad are my stepdad's been shielding since this started he's a kidney recipient my stepsister, ah, right, okay. kidney recipient. My brother's been living in Germany. My dad's been working in Germany with my brother. So it's literally been me and Abby. Um, and it's it's been hard, but I've just, I've taken to reading now. I'm like, do you know what? I'm bored of this world. I'll just nip into another one for a few hours. Yeah, you know, I was just going to say, I was I was lockdown affected, yeah. Six, I, know. I think lockdown, lockdown one, I found it, found it difficult because I was obviously still kind of um I'd only just identified kind of and started getting the help that I needed so I was kind of finding it difficult but the sun was out I could we could be out with the kids all the time you know I mean I'm a I'm an avid gardener now you wouldn't think but yeah I'm an avid gardener grow my own veg got a greenhouse everything but it's like my little escape if I need to mm -hmm. escape I'll go go to the greenhouse um we're like lockdown two and three obviously the weather's been crap you know, and because we've been in, we ended up tearing out loads of stuff. So I'd filled the greenhouse full of stuff. So I couldn't go in the greenhouse. Greenhouse was off limits, which now was cleared, ready for spring. Um, but it, it was almost like then like lockdown free again. The weather's just been shocking. It's after Christmas and it's, you know, and mm. but now like the kids are working all the time from home. They're doing all their, their homeschooling. And then I'm at university now. So doing uni work and having the kids homeschooling and trying to run a house and you know it's just it's been a, a, a like manic. murder yeah manic manic, yeah. manic. Well, that's it. I mean the first the first week of the first lockdown I was actually I, I was actually still living with Abigail's dad we were still 
we were on good terms and we were just trying to we were waiting until the house had sold basically like we, we were separated for all intents and purposes but we wanted the house we, we had to sell the house and we had stuff we had to do to sort of tie up and I, the first week of the first lockdown I spent I think about 50 hours um near enough 60 hours at work that week developing services with some consultants to try and help care home patients suffering with COVID and stuff um in my job, I'm I'm a computer system specialist for patient systems. So right. it's uh, that, and I mean that in itself is really rewarding because you know that what you're doing is helping people provide the best care to people. Like without us, sort of architecture in the system and stuff like that, and designing the system, um, it makes their life a lot harder. So the first lockdown, it was full on. Obviously, throughout all of it. I've still been expected to work full time, even when nurseries were shut down in the first lockdown. Yeah, yeah. I was actually at nursery at that point. She started school in September, um, and it was just really—it's like you know when you couldn't plan it. She turned four. Seven days later, I moved house. Seven days later, she started school. Oh God. She just—it was a lot for her, bless her, but. It's again, even that in itself, trying to come to terms with the fact that, you know, your child's got sensory, um, like sensory requirements and sensory needs and not understanding what you're entitled to and how how you can make that work. I mean, I sat with one of the senior managers at my work. Um, I explained to him what was going on and I must have been in with him for about an hour and a half. And he just, it was like, you need, you really need to sort something out for yourself and try and get some support for yourself, Vicky. Because it, you know, it's it's a lot to be taking on. Um, and luckily, I did. I reached out to a lot of local charities. They've put a lot of advice into me, and they do coffee mornings for child for parents who have got children with sensory and special educational needs and things like that. Um, but again, just I've just focused everything recently on just fighting for the best what I can for my daughter making sure she's got the support she needs in school so that she's not acting out as much because she was getting um she was getting very frustrated and biting and things like that and it's um it, it's not her it's it's her lack of understanding of communication and her communication skills that are the problem she doesn't know how to communicate she wants help so she'll bite or she'll hit and and that's that's yeah, the end. yeah. it's not she's not a bad child she she's She's a very intelligent little girl and she knows exactly how to get what she wants and things like that. But she's just got some very um, sort of niche sensory problems, which it's going to probably take quite a while for us to get a handle on. Um, but again, it's just reaching out to the right people and, and talking about it. And it does help as well, speaking on these coffee mornings with parents of children that have got sensory problems who are older because they've got, they've been where you are as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's sometimes good to have, isn't it? If you've got, mm. especially like kind of being able to talk to people, like you say, who've actually gone through what you've got, go, what they've gone through, what you're going through now, mm -hmm. and you can kind of see it at the other side, like, yeah, know, this is how things can be, you know? I suppose it's like that with most things. It's like that with, with depression, like mental health. You, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I've spoke to some people who have, who have come through, you know, so many different things like yourself and, you know, like, like, um, I mean, I had, uh, Jamie Barnwell on the other week, you know, 
ex ex footballer, ex pro footballer. You know, he's a good friend of mine. He's you know he's been through so many different things, and you know, like now yeah. he's able to kind of instill. You know, you can get through this. You, you know, he's been through them them tough times, so he kind of knows that this this kind of like you feel like this kind of light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, yeah. I've kind of said so long, so many times is. I know that light's there. I just don't know how far it is. That's how I how I look at it at the minute because I'm still kind of in the mist of it, really, at the moment. Yeah, wading through it and trying to understand it all and things like that. Oh, definitely. It's uh, like there is just so much help out there at the moment as well. You've got like, but you've got the likes of Andy's Man Club. You've got Coop. You've got Let's Talk. Um. You, in Hull, I think we are quite lucky with the amount of um, support we do have. You've got Paul for brain recovery and, yeah. you know, all of, all of these different people that can sort of, um, that can try and sort of help you in these areas. But ultimately, it's, it's almost like um, searching for the perfect bed or the perfect car. One size isn't going to fit all. You've got to try and sort of trial and error, see what fits you. Really, yeah, totally. That... I mean, I, I mean, I had like in twenty, uh, what would have been twenty, twenty, twenty. No, so, so I mean, I'm injured in twenty eighteen. I had my first lot of CBT in twenty nineteen. That was it. But I'd already made my mind up then that it wasn't going to work because I just mm-hmm. think at that time I just didn't want to accept what was going on with me. So I, I, mm-hmm. I but I remember going to see someone in the November of twenty nineteen and say. I just, I need someone to talk to, but it was just like, look, we think CBT is going to be the best thing for you. But I was like, oh, I don't want CBT. I just want to mm-hmm. talk to someone. And I'd kind of, I'd missed, I'd missed, because the, the, the one to put me on, um, is it like a stress course that they do? Yeah, it does let's talk. And I kind of wish I'd done it, but at the time I was working full time and working full time in retail over Christmas, you just end up losing track of time. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to be last stressed? <laughs> yeah, just completely lose track of time. And it comes to the point where I'd obviously I'd had to reach out and, and get extra help. And luckily the company who I was with, um, they got me eight weeks worth of counselling. So I had eight eight sessions of counselling. So I had time to kind of talk about what I wanted to talk about. And then when it came round to CBT, I was able to kind of accept that, right, this is the right thing for me now. And I've obviously I've, I've well, started see started the council in March last year. CBT started in May, and then I'm uh, well. I've just finished one for health anxiety, and I'm just on really pressure one now. So I don't know how long it's going to take. It might take another year, but however long it takes, I don't I don't care. And I mean, you talked you said earlier about you kind of um, you felt like you lost your lost your sense of who who you are you know you Mm -hmm. kind of feel like like the mum the worker you know you feel like a mum an employee a partner you know it's it's who really are you and and I'm exactly the same I think I felt like this for so long that I've just forgotten who who Nick is like who am I you know and it's weird when you look in the mirror and go oh were you before all this like it's almost like you can't remember anything I recognise you, but I just, I can't feel who you are anymore. It's like you've lost just your identity in a way. 
It's yeah. bizarre. Isn't it? It's it, it, so is, bizarre. it is so weird because you kind of like, you, it's almost like you've, all you've known for so long is how that feels, is, is, is depression and anxiety and feeling low and worrying about everything. And you feel mm -hmm. like that's a, you can't remember. Like I even think about, I can't remember after stuff from like when I was in the band. Do you know what I mean? And it, it like, and yet I kind of look back at all the photos and I think, my God, like, I didn't really have any no, sort of. I've got photos of doing new Halloween makeup and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, that was that was at the uh, that was silhouettes, wasn't it? That was at the <laughs> silhouettes. Silhouettes, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, rem I remember that gig. I remember that gig. That was one a fun one. <laughs> oh god, we, we won't get them photos out though. We don't need to. Uh... No, no, <laughs> no, incriminating evidence. No. They never, never existed. But yeah, even though I wouldn't mind. I think half of them are actually on my bleeding Facebook page. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's what you got. Just says old school on it, or you know, something like that, and it's all, all the old band pictures. Yeah, probably um probably still a few lurking around MySpace and that from way back. Oh in God, yeah. Oh yeah, oh, there will be there'll be some the pre the Facebook days. Oh yeah, days of days of MySpace. Just think at some point, Nick, you'll be able to say to your kids, you'll be able to say, do you know what? I'm older than Google. I am older than Facebook, and we'll be like, No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not, Dad. Yes, I am. <laughs> he already says that anyway. You know. <laughs> Little little gay is honestly. Well, I say little. He's bigger than me now. He's taller than me. <laughs> so I suppose um, I always like to like to do this bit. So if before we finish, if you were to give one message to to the listeners, to people out there, what would it be? Um, don't give up. If it doesn't work the first time, keep trying just it so it something will click it might take months it might take weeks it might take years at some point somebody you will you will get that connection with somebody and they will be able to get through and help you understand what you're feeling so don't go through it alone talk to people and you know just try try not to overthink everything basically because that's what I've done my entire life and it's got me nowhere <laughs> up until recently. <laughs> Do you know what, no, that that's that's the perfect way to finish that. Thank you so much for coming on today, Vic, honestly. It's, uh, it's been great to kind of catch up with you after all these years as well. But thank mm -hmm. you for kind of sharing by what no, you've gone I, through as well. If I can help one person, that's, you know, if I can help you, Nick, if I can help anybody, then it's... It's a, it's a good it's a good thing. No, I say, thank you so much for coming on, Vicky. Um, so I will uh, see you all on the next podcast, everybody. Thank you very much. <laughs>